is right here, but the reality is that there is a final judgment that is coming. There is a final separation that is coming, and we don't want to miss the obvious truth. There is a final time of separation, of division. But here's another question, and I think it's more important, and someone already answered this, I think. Who are not the fishermen? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, we are those. <laughs> like the parable of the wheat and the weeds that we have looked at prior to this, we do not get to be the ones who divide the good and the bad fish. Darn. Isn't there just something inside of you sometimes that, that you want that to be your job? We're exactly... Where exactly are you and where am I in this parable? <laughs> Walking around on the sand, flopping. <laughs> Truth is, Monica, I think that Jesus wants to understand that we are in the sea and we are swimming with the fish. We are caught up with the fish. We are a part of that crowd of fish in this story. Now, this is interesting to me because the only other time that Jesus makes a reference to fish or fishing is when he called, you remember, two of his disciples, Peter and Andrew, who just happened to be fishermen. They were at the boats when he called them and he said to them, come follow me, I will make you... Yeah, that's... For many of us, that's the earliest evangelistic song that we ever learned. I mean, when we were kids in Sunday school, remember that song? I will make you fishers of men. Fishers. Don't act like you don't know it. I know you've sung that song. Yeah, fishers of men. And so when Jesus told Peter and Andrew that, that he would make them fishers of men, my guess is that they had no idea, given their experience and their, their immediate context, they had no idea that, that he was calling them to swim with the fish, which I really think is, is what's going on here. It gives new meaning to life in a fishbowl. I think that's exactly what Jesus is getting at. It really is. You know, because of their experience with fishing, I think it's quite likely that, that Peter and Andrew would, would think in terms of collecting fish, you know, Gathering the net up, dumping the fish, sorting. Picking, choosing, sorting out good fish, bad fish, good fish, bad fish. That is human nature. And that, truth be told, is what we all at times long to do. And that is in reality what we all do at different times as we assign people to categories. And the particular category that we may put people in uh, may be somewhere on the scale of between 1 and 10 in terms of reachability for Christ. You know, as if that is our task. You remember in Acts chapter 10, great story about Peter. He's on the roof of the house one day and he's hungry and he was in this vision of prayer and this large sheet came down from heaven. Remember the story? Full of all kinds of animals. You know, clean, unclean, good, bad, ugly, the whole lot was there. And this voice says to Peter, Peter, 
go ahead, kill one of these things and eat it. Because he was hungry. And Peter's response is, no way, I'm a good Jew. I cannot eat anything that I just want to eat. There are laws and things that I must follow. And suddenly, there's a knock on his door, and there are men standing there at the door. They've been sent by a Roman centurion, read unclean animal, sent by a Roman centurion to ask Peter to come to Cornelius' house. That's the Roman centurion. Because Cornelius had been told by an angel that this guy Peter has something that he and his entire household need to hear. And so Peter goes. Wonderful story. If you haven't read that story ever or in a while, go back and read Acts chapter 10. The end of the story has Peter making this statement. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts people from every nation who fear him and do what is right. And in the context of telling these folks about Jesus, he says this, all the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Wow. Brothers and sisters, when Jesus called his disciples to be fishers of men and women, and he calls us to be the same, it is not with a line and a hook, hooking them through the lip and dragging them to shore. I think the parable of the net and what's going on here gives us some important insight. Think of the life of Jesus. Think of what we have often referred to as the mystery of the incarnation. God in the flesh. The apostle John speaks of that mystery and says, the word became flesh and he lived among us. Pardon me if this seems trivial, but God is not casting a line from heaven, but he becomes flesh and lives among us. As John says, dare I use the language of the parable he became a fish and he swam among us. That's what Jesus is talking about. And he taught us about this huge net, this enormous net that is being dragged through life, through the sea of human history, and it's catching up all kinds of fish. You see, the nets that were used in Jesus' day were Referred to, we would probably talk about them as a dragnet. It was not uncommon for the fishing boats of that day to, to tie a net between them, drop the net into the water, begin to row away or sail away if there was good wind, and they would begin to create this circle. And you get the picture of the net just following out behind these boats. And pretty soon they would close that circle and then they'd begin to draw those nets in and they'd pinch that circle tighter and tighter with ropes that were attached to the nets. Or if there wasn't another boat, it's not uncommon for them to, to put one end of the net to secure it on the shore. And a boat would take off with that net and go out and loop and create this kind of a loop and come back in towards the shore. And again, the same thing, drawing that net in and closing it up tight with the ropes that were attached to the nets and, and, and capturing all kinds of fish that were, were caught up in the path of that net. You and I, you and I 
are being gathered into that net as well. You see, I think, I think the point of this parable is the net. The point of this parable is the net and, and what is happening. What is this net? Can I suggest to you, I think the net is symbolic of the grace of God at work in the course of human history. We've talked about the grace of God being a mystery. Well, the grace of God is also huge. It's, it's, a, it's a net that, that can encompass all of human history. It's a net that can encompass a whole lot of those two-legged fish that are swimming around. God's grace that is dragging through the sea of human history and capturing fish for God. Gregory the Great, one of the, uh, the early fathers and actually one of the, uh, the early popes, says this about this, uh, this passage. I like this a lot. He says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is said to be like a fishing net that is let down into the sea, gathering all kinds of fish. Once it is filled, the net is brought to shore. The good fish are gathered into baskets, but the bad ones are thrown away. Our church is compared to a net. He refers to the church as God's instrument of grace in the world because it has been entrusted to be used by God and because all people are being drawn up from the turbulent waters of the present age to the eternal kingdom lest we drown in the depths of eternal death. This net gathers all kinds of fish because it calls to forgiveness of sins for everyone. Wise and foolish, free and slave, rich and poor, brave and weak. This net will be completely filled when it enfolds the entire number of the human race at the end of the time. The fishermen bring it in and sit down on the shore because just as the sea signifies this present age, so the shore signifies its end. I think he's right. Scripture teaches that all humanity is lost apart from God. Scripture teaches that all humanity is separated from God by sin, as Gregory said, drowning in the depths of eternal death. You know, what appears to be a healthy sea and a healthy school of fish swimming along is really not a healthy sea, not a healthy school of fish. And it is the net of God's grace that seeks to corral those fish and to rescue them from the depths of eternal death. Jesus says at the end of the parable, this is how it will be at the end of the age. I don't think that's an accident that, that two of these six parables in this short chapter that we have looked at have to do with eternal destiny. Like the parable of the wheat and the weeds, there is an urgency here. This is serious and the stakes are really, really high. But I think the two parables also have an important distinction. You remember when we, we looked at the parable of the wheat and the weeds, uh, it was an encouragement to wait upon the Lord. We find ourselves 
as wheat, as the people of God, planted in the field. And, and the, the enemy has come, you remember the story, and has, has sown weeds in the field. And boy, wouldn't we like to just pull those weeds? Wouldn't we like to just spray those weeds? Some kind of poison that would get rid of them. But the owner of the field says, no, no. We don't want to do anything right now because the distinction between the weeds and the wheat is, is very, very fine. They look a lot alike. And it's really important that, uh, that we allow the necessary amount of time to take its place. The owner will take care of the weeds and the wheat. And so there is a sense in which even though we want it to be our responsibility, we're not the weed pullers, we're not the weed sprayers. We are people who are to live among the weeds with a sense of God's presence and God's timing and God's security. The parable of the net, I think, is a little bit different. I think it's a call to action. I know that we always need to be cautious. I've said this to you before about pushing the analogies of, of, of parables. I, I do want to be careful with that. But, but, but fish are alive and fish are active. And so that being true, allow me to use the language of the parable to just leave us with a couple of, of uh, swimming lessons this morning. I originally thought of them as fishing lessons, but I think swimming lessons are more accurate. Uh, given that we are included in this sea of fish that are being netted from the sea of humanity. Swimming lesson number one, we must acknowledge that there is a net. Sounds silly, I know. We must acknowledge that there is a net. And we must acknowledge that that net is a source of safety and security in fact. If we are going to pick up the urgency of this parable and see it come to play in our lives, we need to become convinced that the net is our only source of safety and security for eternity. This is, this is critical to our lives in the sea. Now, this is where I think the analogy, pushing it a little bit too far, can be weak because when you think about it, what fish is really going to see the net as a source of safety, Right? Unless, of course, the water that the fish is swimming in is so polluted that there will be certain death if the fish stays in the water. Unless, as I often saw growing up near the Bonneville Dam on the Columbia River, there are huge water turbines of the power plant that lie just ahead that will grind the fish to pieces unless there is a net or a screen that is placed across the front of those. Or unless there are hungry sharks swimming in the water, looking for their next meal. Or perhaps using another image from Scripture, Peter talks about our enemy, the devil, being a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. I love to go fishing up on Clear Creek. It's full of brown trout. Brown trout aren't very smart, and therefore I usually catch a lot of them. You don't have to be very crafty. It's just really a lot of fun. And, and I have learned to take a, a little trout net with me because I usually just release them. But oftentimes the fish can do 
him or herself a whole lot of damage when you bring them in close to the shore and they are just flopping and thrashing and going all about on all the rocks that are there. So I've, I've learned to, to use the net and to dip them out of the water when they're still out in a safe place compared to the rocks. The net can be a thing of safety regardless of how it may appear to the fish. And if we are convinced that all people are lost for eternity, see, we have to be convinced of that. If we are convinced that all people, apart from Jesus Christ, are lost for eternity, then we are going to be people who acknowledge the presence and the importance of the net of God's sweeping grace. His net that surrounds them even though they don't necessarily see it. His net that is is holding them up even though they don't necessarily see it. His net that is protecting them even though they don't necessarily see it. Paul says over and over in Romans that God's patience leads people to repentance. God's patience flows from his grace. The net of his grace that surrounds a rebellious humanity with the desire that rebellious humanity will recognize the safety of his net and be pulled out of a poisonous, dangerous, rocky environment. We have to be convinced. And if we are convinced of people's lostness apart from Christ, then we will be people who acknowledge Not only the presence, but the importance of the net of God's grace. And we will be fish who urge other fish to quit fighting and get in the net for Pete's sake. I know. The analogy breaks down a little bit. I don't know if fish talk to one another. But but we need to. We need to be fish who are telling others about the net of God's grace, the net of his safety, the net of his love, the net of his protection. Get in the net. The stakes are high. That's swimming lesson number one. Swimming lesson number two, there are all kinds of fish in the sea, and we do not know the good from the bad until the net is hauled to the shore. Again, similar to the wheat and the weeds Uh, we are sometimes prone to identify the good fish and the bad fish. How many of you like catfish? Ever eat catfish? It's delicious, isn't it? You ever see catfish? Ugly as sin. There are no beautiful catfish. However, if, if the point of catching a fish is to eat the fish, then my guess is you would like to eat a tasty fish. Catfish are ugly as sin and some of the best tasting fish. Lingcod, out of the ocean. Ever catch lingcod? Ever see a lingcod? One that runs up about 80, 90, 100 pounds, looks like it would eat you. Delicious fish. Ugly as ugly gets. Delicious. You see, looks are deceiving. And and we can't be a people who, who fall into that category of determining which fish are good and which 
selfish or not. Again, there is patience that is needed on our part and there's an urgency that comes from our being convinced that the net is big and wide and it's the only source of eternal safety for all fish, no matter how ugly they are. Listen again to Gregory the Great. I love this. Once on the shore, however, the fishing net indicates what has been drawn in. Some fish, when they have been caught, they cannot be changed. Others of us who were caught while we are wicked can become changed for the better. How does does a net change a fish? Well, we've talked about God's grace being pretty mysterious, have we not? Let us bear in mind, as we are in the process of being caught, we must remember that, that God changes the fish. Jesus says that the fish will be separated according to to categories of good and bad. The words that he uses there are interesting words. The word that he uses to describe the good fish, the bad fish, not necessarily words that we associate in other texts with a a sense of of morality. They're used more in the sense of, of being useful. Translation would be put into piles of useful and put into piles of worthless. I want to suggest to you that the fish that surrenders to the safety and the security of the net is the fish that is counted as worthy. It is the fish that recognizes there is no hope but the safety of the net of God's grace. And isn't that true when we think of salvation? Where does salvation start for an individual? Surrender. Surrender of one's self. Surrender of one's personal agenda and personal control. The net of grace does its mysterious work in the life of fish. They can change. They can surrender. They can give themselves into the captivity of the net. We, my brothers and sisters, have the responsibility as we swim to let others know, get in the net. Get in the net. I like what Lewis says in his sermon, The Weight of Glory. He says, remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. Or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long we are in some degree helping others to one or another of these destinations It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another, all of our friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked, says Lewis, to a mere mortal. Every individual on planet Earth swimming in the sea with an eternal destiny. Praise team, why don't you come up and prepare to lead us. I don't know where you're at, many of you, as you're here this morning. I am one who firmly believes the words of Jesus. I am convinced that 
all of humanity faces an eternity. And there are really only a couple of options. There's an eternity with Christ and with the Father, the relationship for which we were created, or there is an eternity of, of separation and pain and horror apart from the presence of God. If you have never made that decision, that, that place where you put that stake in the ground and you say, I want to know, I want to know for sure that I'm being hauled up into that net of grace and that I belong to God. Today would be a great day for you to make that decision. And if you don't know how to make that decision, I would love to talk with you about that. Don't leave. Don't leave church today without knowing how you can be certain of the grace and the salvation that God makes available. The stakes are far too high. <laughs> as crass as that story is about that country preacher, there is truth. The New Testament talks clearly about a day of judgment, a day in which we will give an account. Here's an interesting thing. The judge will be Christ Jesus. The one who judges us in the end, ultimately, will be, will be the one who at present, is loving us most completely. Surrender to that judge who loves you.